our message today is by Lightly titled Abounding in the Good afternoon. Wonderful to see everyone here. Always beautiful Sabbath with the days of unleavened bread. And so I just comment on handout that we do this typically know that during the days of unleavened bread there's a connection, right? To another festival. Festival day that we know it has a relevancy today because we look at how we're supposed to count there's this wonderful ceremony that takes place within the days of unleavened bread called wave first fruit and we know that it says the, the first fruit should be brought by the Accepted on We know that first fruit. Paul tells us in First Corinthians, um, a kind of first fruit. others follow out. Leave on. So I just wanted to mention that because it says it's to be done on the morrow after the Sabbath in reference to tomorrow. And this year is kind of unique. Uh, as you as you saw, the message is titled "Abounding in the Work of the Lord," and the inspiration of this message today comes from First Corinthians chapter fifteen, very last verse. But I'm not going to start there today, actually, because of the context in which we are in today. Uh, that is the Sabbath within the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in light of Passover following, falling exactly how it did, it would have been thousands of years ago on this very day that Jesus Christ finished. Finished rest life back. Happened on this day's night, Saturday. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And I, I actually am preparing this message inspired by verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're not going to go through every verse. We don't have time for that. But one of the things that we know about this epistle that Paul wrote, uh, 1 Corinthians, that it was a letter that was written in the context of the Passover. It talks about a lot of different things. That. But it, there's many references to days of 11, 11 bread and this Passover season. That first Corinthians chapter 5, we've read that just a few days ago. It was read about he unleavened bread and sincerity and truth, not with the old malice and wickedness. And he also talks about in chapter 11 about this idea of the symbols of the bread and the wine that Jesus did that very night that he prayed. Now, all of us here know great promises have been given. Eternal life in God's kingdom. All of us here know and affirm our redemption comes only through 
shed blood for Passover. All of us know. None of us, though, would also argue that it's not the only thing that makes it. It is possible. Without it, no entering into God's kingdom that we're looking forward to. There's no redemption of our sins. And obviously, this weekend is a little unique because this year, the Days of Unleavened Bread, the Passover season, just so happens to fall and coincide with the mainstream holiday of Easter. We know that, unfortunately, that Easter, in addition to the biblical narrative, has been replaced, a man-made replacement, these God-sanctioned that we know are in that points to the plan of salvation. Even though we know that that's a fact, we still affirm the reality of Jesus' resurrection. So in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul writes this 58-verse chapter. Of course, chapters verses were added later, but this lengthy, lengthy section about the resurrection. In fact, many of us probably refer to this as the resurrection chapter, right? It's probably the most robust and detail-oriented chapter or section of the entire Bible outlining the facts about the resurrection, about the resurrection and the connection to the gospel message, but also the resurrection in terms of us follow after the hope that we have. But see, Paul seems to write this going on within this Corinthian. We see that there seems to be maybe some deviation from the that he brought to the when he originally established it, as well as the of the gospel message and the truth that follows the gospel message: resurrection, thanks. So I want to pick it up in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, lest I want to point out something about how Paul mentions that this gospel which he preached to them, that they received, is the message that they stand on. The Greek word histemi, which means to be firm or established. So established fact, of course, all of those things go together. The death, the shedding of the blood, the breaking of his body, but the resurrection, completion of this plan for there to be... Paul is saying that you stand firm. This is what the faith is based upon. The finality of all of those things that happen rooted in fact. Rooted in fact. It's not, take my word for it. Hey, I heard this happen. Paul goes on in verse 3 to say, For I 
deliver to you, first of all, that which I also, that Christ died for our sins. Scripture. I want to stop here. The phrase, I deliver to you what I receive, is important because to our eye, and as might skip over this and not understand because contextually it's very important because this is the typical language that many scholars talk about as transition. During this time, Jewish teachers would pass on their teaching for students past the and they would memorize the we we've lost the art of memorization like they had back in the you know a lot of people weren't literate they couldn't hear something and go read it for themselves they had and so because it was so important to be able to memorize things internalize it they became quite good at doing this and so just like anything else anybody you know feel like you've lost some degree the art of spelling correctly like spell check and all, all of our different programs that we have we know that this is a world in which individuals would actually memorize quite typically, quite accurately. So what we have here is possibly an early Christian. Now we don't typically talk about creed. You know, there's father creed, things that would come long after. But essentially a creed is like a, a, a mechanism, saying. And why this is important is because it shows that this idea of Jesus being raised from the dead, it's not something up and later attributes the story of Jesus. See, that's a big argument that's sometimes put forth, that there was this man that might have lived, and he might have been crucified, and he might have had followers. But all these years went by, and then... Different people would apply embellishment, actually. If we see and we establish that early on there was the early Christian creeds like this, and sometimes you find them in Paul's epistle, one of them is Philippians, the second chapter, about let this mind be in maybe possibly in demonstrates that things aren't ideas later transported on. We're very early. Why is early important? During the time that they're said, witness events possible. Hard to embellish something when witness of an event are still alive that could come along and say, "Hold on, real quick, I saw that, and that's not how it happened." That's why it's so important to look at this. Of course, this is just some of the things that I've come to understand over the difference. But he continues on in verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to and that he was seen by Paul, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. The greater part remained present on a after that, he was seen by Jesus, then by all the apostles, then last of all, 
by one. So what's important to know is that Paul is not saying, like as I just mentioned, you know, take my word for it. You know, I came to you and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I've heard about these things. Take my word for it. This guy named Jesus died and you know, I've heard he's been raised before, but he's used weight of evidence of eyewitnesses. Peter, disciples, being seen over a crowd of 500 people. This epistle was written somewhere around 55 CE. Uh, so it could have been anywhere from 22 to 25 years since the resurrection, depending upon, you know, there's different arguments about whether it's 30 AD, 31 AD, or years that people believe the crucifixion could have happened. Uh, of course, that's there because it's the event, not getting caught up in dates. But Paul is pointing out that although some of these individuals died, many of them were still alive. Now, I'm not saying it was as easy as it is today to go to Jerusalem, different parts of the you know, Roman world, to find these But Paul knows full well that these be maybe ran into it, that had seen place. The eyewitness became an important part of Proclamation resurrection. Now, could have Jesus died and rose again? No one know it. Of course, that could be possible, but that's not how it went. Of course, that wouldn't make any sense for God to establish a paradigm or a pattern like that. What we see from the Gospels, or not the Gospels, but like the book of Acts, for example, after Jesus dies and he's raised, and he's with them for so many years, and he finally goes, or not so many years, so many days, and finally is, ascends into heaven, we see that the pattern was, as Peter stands up in Acts the first chapter, verse 21, verse 21 and 22, make sure that they replace this chariot. Why? Make sure eyewitnesses, ones who would go forth they have 11 apostles, or now they're apostles, because they're being. Now they need the extra one. Read, therefore, of who have accompanied us. All the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, not just seeing the resurrection alone, but activity, works, miracles, his teaching. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness of But in Paul's letter, he establishes that part of the gospel message about Jesus' resurrection. The message is about Jesus Christ and the have the kingdom without Christ. When we skip down to verse 12, we see that Paul after he does this, he's addressing an issue in the Corinthian church. Some who have become confused about the resurrection, give a lot of Greek thought, thought that resurrection was ludicrous. Why in the world would you die and come back up in this inner mind corruptible fleshly realm? Truth about the resurrection, how that body was going to be. But they also seem maybe possible about Christ's 
resurrection of believers. In question form and verse 12, Paul says, Now if Christ is preached raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection? So Paul's establishing Jesus died and rose again, then in the same are his followers. Some of them about both, one or the other. Now, we know that during this time, as I mentioned, because of the context that you not just the Passover season, specifically, world context, world Christian calendar. You see a lot of people talking about the resurrection. Right? That's what mainstream about this idea. Raised on morning, and of course, I'm not going to get into the different uh, traditions that go with that. But also along these lines, flipping through history and all discovery maybe someone on social media maybe a documentary article post online of people who challenge this idea being corrected so with that I actually just happen to write down here three alternative that sometimes one of the things that you have to understand is that, believe it or not, most historians, secular historians, aren't believers. They actually look at the empty tomb as a pretty plausible historical. The only difference is that they give an alternative why that tomb. I don't believe it was supernatural resurrection. One of those is called the fraud theory. This was. I think the Passover plot, there was a time ago. It's kind of this idea that disciples came in one of the nights and they stole the body. Stole the body, they lied about, you know, seeing Jesus, uh, and that's how it happened. Don't know where they put it, no one could ever find it, but they stole the body. And the, by the way, just to back up, why historians do kind of consider the idea of an evidence of Something happened to the body of Jesus. They're not, ex- they're not going to accept the resurrection theory. They don't, they don't leave room for anything natural. They're friends, so by nature, they're trained to have an alternation. Stories. Not many actually hold true, especially when you look at these same individuals who would go on to die for the faith probably not very plausible that someone would die for a lie that they were behind. The second theory is a hallucination that the disciples somehow were so grief-stricken of Jesus being dead that they hallucinated and saw him. wasn't reality. dead. But of all the disciples, so, I mean, it's just just as much a historical as have Paul, who's by many years from the actual events, the actual events that happened, how could he as, as well hallucinate? And the third theory is the death. 
This is a theory where Jesus actually did not die. Drink of the moved from the cross and somehow provided medical never really was put in a tomb. That's why he wasn't in the tomb. Chances of surviving very I just want to point out most scholars actually abandoned mean that they resurrection. I'm not saying scholars in general. There are Christian evangelical scholars saying they've abandoned these theories and postulate, but they still maintain that there must be alternative nation that was not. Now it shouldn't be surprising that just like in Paul's day, we'll question and attempted to challenge the foundation of our faith, that is the resurrection. And although we know that this, as I mentioned, this message that we proclaim, that we come here, that we believe that Jesus is message of the kingdom coming to earth, all predicated down Literal resurrection, not a spirit, body, literally feeding. With that, I'd like to transition last part, first Corinthians. Pick it up in verse 50. Because resurrection of rich in theology for us and our salvation. But there is something about that resurrection that enables us to do what this message is entitled, that is to found work. I want to read verse 50, break it into context. I wanted to establish that because I think it's important. Sometimes you may have people question things, ask you questions. Verse 50, the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed moment at trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised shall be this corruptible must put corruptible Incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. Mortal that we have that does not have immortality, but you. Verse 54 So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, mortal immortality, then shall be brought to pass the same written. Death, death is swallowed up. O oh, death, where is your testament? Verse fifty six. Thing of death is strength of all. Thanks be to God, gives us. Victory. Word. Verse 58. Therefore, 
my beloved brethren, steadfast, movable, always abounding works of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain. I want to stop here because this is such powerful, powerful section. When I was going over First Thessalonians a while back, we came to First Thessalonians chapter four. Paul talks about those who have fallen asleep. About the resurrection, I briefly kind of covered this, but as I was preparing this message, I wanted to bring out some things that I covered this so powerful in light of what Christ is all is saying. He uses this phrase, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Quoting actually Isaiah 5 8. Points us believers, the Corinthians, as well as us, fact of what done way. See, this imagery that we find in Isaiah is interesting because there was this, these, these verses here, 25, uh, Isaiah 25 verses, Hosea 13 verses, all kind of ashing together. But in the Old Testament, as well as Canaanite mythology, there was this idea about death, about Sheol, about the grave. We see that Isaiah 5, verse 14, Therefore Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth. We also see a couple of Proverbs. Let us swallow them alive like soul. Whole like those who go down. And so what we see is that in the Old Testament, in the Canaanite world that, that the Old Testament written in, there was this mythological idea about death. And death was talked about like as that was like this ultimate predator preying on all living. What's so powerful about the way that Paul that he's kind of flipping upside down this idea. Paul is saying that death, the ultimate predator, lies in wait all and preys on all living things has itself become the final victim of its own sin. Talked about this. This victory present. We know that we all are still going to die. Even though we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we all are subject to this corruptible body. We haven't put on this corruption that Paul talks about, this immortality that Paul talks about. But through Christ, we have been given ultimate over that. From Adam till death. Judgment that occurred on mankind, Paul is saying, but thanks to God, verse 10, who gives us the victory, gives us the ability out from death, to not be. In light of this, 
Paul concludes three exhortations. See, when we look at this weekend, especially in light of it coinciding with this isn't an Easter message, this is a biblical message, message that's rooted in the scriptures. But one of the things that I was thinking about was so often you media and things like that, and all of a sudden, all of these things pop up, right? Like things, like prison, tomb is in, all of these things, right? And unfortunately, I think that, and I think that we can fall into this trap too, that we, we know, as was mentioned, nothing that we earn us in. But being a Christian pastor, is risen. Yes, of course. What does that mean for us? It means truly true believer in this resurrection. Because this resurrection happened, we have been enabled, bound. Paul says three things. Steadfast, movable. I like the way Bible trans and always abounding promise. Now it's interesting to me when I was reading it because you know, the word labor and work typically are not ideas that are with this idea things to Right? I think what Paul is saying though Go back to a first, the first few verses that we looked at in this chapter. That we are to be firm, immovable, steadfast in our rooted in the reality of this direction of Passover land. Through that immovable steadfastness, God is able to perform at work. It is God's working. He wants us to stand firm and be immovable, of course, but that is immovable in the fact that Jesus died and rose. Become the first fruit. Those who will follow, that's us. Through that, able to work. Now I want to just point out this word work in verse 15. Word is the Greek word ergon, where it refers to our actions. The word labor is the Greek word kopos, and in general it refers to manual labor that brings you. In this context, I think that Paul is referring to the work or the duty that God has assigned to all of us by claim kingdom. Not just with our mouths, but with our words, force, action, attitude, our mindset. That this hope, labor, this duty, have not lose. It will produce. We are abounding in the work of the Lord. God will produce. 
result of our being a kingdom mechanism. This isn't being a Christian, especially at the world we live in, coupled with flesh. Know that this unleavened bread symbols what they represent sin that they're putting out of our lives, our carnal nature, that's so susceptible to sin and backsliding to the similitude of the old man, right? A constant battle today. Life is busy, distracted, but we all have this no matter what happens. It can be a God. He'll produce the fruit there. Found. There isn't there at the end of this life, there is a crown of life waiting through that death and our path to live. Now I want to just I want to skip down. Let's go to Exodus. As I was preparing this message, I wanted to bring this out. Because I think so often nothing that we earn ourselves. Our salvation is rooted in only the work of Christ. But so often, stuff, right? Somehow, bring in a theology that earning your When I was preparing this message, I beforehand I was thinking text in chapter. Read it so many The context is the Israelites are leaving, right? And at first the Egyptians were like, let them leave, push them out. But then they were like, well, hold on, real lose all that labor. Let's go after them. The Israelites are in the wilderness, and they look back and they see. And this is what Moses says. The people, they're crying, they're scared. They're thinking, you brought us out to the wilderness. But verse 13 says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still, and salvation, which will accomplish today. Egyptians defeated it. Shall see. Now, years ago, I remember about this. Stop. I don't know if it was. Collecting, continuing on and reading contextually. But verse 14 was interesting. I think there's somewhat of a paradigm for us as Christians. You see, I would stop there and be like, yeah, you know, having problems in life. Like, I would apply this idea. Things are coming upon me. Wait for God to bring me out. Clearly, right after that. 
Lawrence, Lawrence Gregory, he came over and he said, I just want to show you something. You read the next verse, what God had to say. Because verse 14 says, you know, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you to hold your peace. That's Moses talking to them, telling them to stand still. But verse 15 says, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Yes, you're standing firm in your faith, but that doesn't mean that you just sit there idle, doing, founding what God is wanting out your life, founding works. I think this passage of scripture is instructive, especially in light of what we are looking at in Paul's words in First Corinthians. When you see this passage that Paul talks about some of the same thing, a little bit different, but he uses that idea of standing firm, being a move, yet working, doing. In light of what God has done for us, we here's the thing. Enemies, they're always going to We're never going of our metaphorical Egyptians behind us chasing after us. They're never going to go away until the kingdom. And these enemies can be a multitude of things. They can be the world and persecution. They can be our own selves, our carnal fleshly man. Illnesses that come upon us, physical, mental, spiritually, or emotional, they're always going to be behind us. In you abounding the bearing Christ, the remaining in the vine, close with John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Add it as an option. We read this the other night during our Passover. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now what's interesting? What a mint. Specific. Because when we read the old, so many different passages. Vine that God. God was one. Jesus is telling us right now comes the ultimate does his God vine that he He says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit, takes away every branch that bear. So when we talk about abounding, abounding means Continue. 
Jesus is alive. Jesus knows. Here to bear fruit. Right to you, not to you. Past, I, I'm, I'm no horticultural, but I had kind of a mishap happen, an unfortunate happen this past year. Last summer, I and I was hoping that you know, hoping to wait to spring, like July, and I was hoping to wait to come back a lot. But Brooke, Brooke will wait my consulted with me. I went out there and he told me to skip away a little bit. I did so. I had lost the sustenance. And it reminds me of this passage only So Jesus says, verse 3, you are already clean. Abide in me, I in you. Branch not bear fruit itself, lest it abides in the vine. Stricken you, abide. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much Without me, nothing. Anyone does not abide in me, cast out as a gather them and throw them in fire. John the Baptist about baptism. Sadducees basically those and he says not saying. God can raise up from stones. If anyone does not abide in me, cast out withers. Gather them and fire and verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you by this my father is glorified. Bear much. Only possible through work that he did. Father did. Inclusion, for in Christ, life, triumph. Christ, Christ, we have been in firm and. Bound. 